Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and Proverbs in chapter number 24. The book of Proverbs in chapter number 24. We're finishing up our year by going through this book of wisdom, just hitting a proverb here and a proverb here. And it has been wonderful. Understand that the Bible is not just a book about history. This is a book that also deals with what we would call counseling counseling, with psychology. It gives us an idea of how man works. Understand that we do not learn about man by studying man. You learn about man by studying the one who created man, who could tell us more about man than what we can learn by studying ourselves. In the book of Proverbs chapter 24, we come to another principle that comes to a very practical way of helping us on a day-to-day basis, giving us a realization, giving us an understanding, and then the Bible also gives us a solution. This is going to be one of those principles that affects every single one of us. If you don't mind, let's look at it together. In the book of Proverbs chapter number 24, Proverbs chapter 24, and notice with me two verses, Proverbs 24, starting at verse number eight. The book of Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number eight, the Bible says this, he that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. The thought of foolishness is sin and the scorner is an abomination to men. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter 24? The book of Proverbs chapter 24, notice with me verse number nine, the thought of foolishness is sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. And with the Lord's help, we're going to cover this idea that the thought of foolishness is sin and deal a little bit more with our thought life. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the great privilege it is to be here, to have your Bible open, to study from your word and to learn. I'm asking that you would help our hearts to be ready to receive, that you would already have prepared our hearts, that this is something that affects every single one of us, that we would be able to see it, understand it, And see what we can do about our thought life. That even the thoughts of our hearts would be pleasing unto you. I'm asking that you would do it in such a way that your name would be glorified. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. I know that I can do nothing of myself. That it has to be you to do your own work. So again, I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit and that you would do your own work through your word today and that you would just give something practical that could change our lives because of this message. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. In the book of Proverbs chapter 24, verses 8 and 9 go together and they build up a certain understanding of what it's talking about. Notice with me, if you don't mind, verse eight, it says, he that deviseth to do evil shall be called 
a mischievous person. Verse number eight describes a mischievous person or one that devises schemes or plans. These plans include harming others if they get in the way of his ideas and goals. That idea of mischievous person comes from a a term uh, that was used commonly back then that carries the idea of the Lord of schemes or the Lord of mischief. That the person here, this mischievous person, is someone that has schemes in his heart. Someone that has schemes in his mind. Someone that's in his mind has thinking about plans to get ahead. Plans to do evil. The idea of evil here has the idea of the intention to do harm. Notice, if you don't mind, as it continues on in verse number nine, it adds more meat to this thought. So speaking about this man, this mischievous man, it says that the thought of foolishness is sin. So in verse nine, it's pointing out that the thought of foolishness is sin. It's carrying the idea that our thought life, if it needs to be subject to God's command in our judgment, our thought life is is important. So in verse number eight, you have the Lord of mischief. You have the guy who's devising these plans. In verse number nine, he has not carried out those plans. It is still in thought form. So notice that before he even carries this out, it is already sin. Just having that thought of foolishness, the thought to do evil is sin. Now, When we think about that, we realize that, hopefully you realize, our thought life is evil. We have problems with our thought life. You say, nah-uh, all right, well try to hit traffic next time and try to make sure your thought life is right with God. You go ahead and let someone do something foolish in front of you and you see your thought life and see if it's in order. You go ahead and Uh, take a hammer and hit the wrong nail and see if your thought life is in order. Our thought life is very much a part of it. And we often have the idea because our thought life is private, because our thought life cannot be seen, that we often excuse our thought life. There are times that we entertain our thought life, that we have a thought of foolishness. And instead of discarding that thought, we kind of mull over it. And think about it. And, you know, toss it around a little bit. Maybe it's an idea that you were in a conversation with someone. And in the end of that conversation, the person walks away and you think about all the things you wanted to say to them. Our thought life's not in order. We have those schemes and those plans. Man, if I had it to do again, I would tell them. I wish I had the opportunity to tell them. Now, I'm not the only sinner in here, right? Everybody's familiar with this idea. We all have this issue. Maybe it's the idea that you're going to work and you're doing all the work and the lazy bums are finding reasons to get out of work. And your thought life is probably not, God bless them. I hope they have a wonderful day. That's probably not what your thought life is like. You say, well, I don't curse, but it may be the idea that if someone wrote it on a piece of paper, you'd sign your name to it. That our thought life is often not in order. This is what it's speaking about here, that our thought life, maybe it's the idea that you're watching something that you shouldn't have let 
on your television, but you think about that scene and you play it over. That thought life, our thought life is so much a part of our day-to-day life. We can, now, <laughs> excuse me for a second. I'm someone who's always thinking. I don't know what it's like not to think. There are some people where you ask them, what are you thinking about? Nothing. And to my mind, are they just having static? (laughs) Now, it could be that there's some people that have nothing but static, but I don't know what it's like. I'm always thinking. I know that my thoughts are always running through my head. And I imagine that for most people, that's you too. And if we were to examine our thought life, How much of our thought life is not pleasing to the Lord? How much of our thought life includes foolishness, evil, adulterous thoughts, thoughts to get back, thoughts of revenge, thoughts of anger? Those type of thoughts here, the Bible calls sin. That even though we haven't committed the act, even though you haven't taken the knife and stabbed someone, even though you haven't taken your car and run the guy off the road, Just having that thought is sin. Our thought life is a very important thing. So with this, let's go through a couple things about our thought life that the Bible says. And then let's find out what we could do about our thought life. The first thing I kind of want to bring to your attention from the word of God is why are thoughts so important? Why are thoughts so important? so important. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the New Testament, the New Testament book of James. The New Testament book of James. James is at the very end of your Bible. If you're not familiar with it, you could turn to the very last book, Revelation, and go backwards. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, James. Everyone should be able to name the books of the Bible backwards. The book of James And notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of James, chapter number one. Now, remember, the book of James is the book of wisdom for the New Testament. Just like Proverbs is the book of wisdom found in the Old Testament, the book of James is a very practical book. It is a book of wisdom for us in the New Testament. And it also speaks about our thought life. Why are our thoughts so important? Notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of James, chapter one. The book of James chapter one, and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 13, the book of James chapter one and verse number 13, let's start there. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when that lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So verse number 13 lays the premise that it is not God who, who forces thoughts in your mind. Some people will like to blame everyone else, but themselves. You are evil on your own. You don't even need to blame Satan. You are corrupt enough on your own. Verse number 14 lays a principle that every man when he is tempted is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when that lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. So here's a progression. It starts with our thought life and we think of that thought life. We allow that thought life to go in. 
then when that thought life is over and over, then we will act upon that thought and actually produce the physical sin, the action within our body. And then that sin is going to have consequences. So think about this. Before anyone ever commits adultery, they've thought about committing adultery. It is something they've allowed inside of their mind and they've rolled it over. They planned on it. They worked on it. And finally, they will have an opportunity to act on it and they will. And then that act will bring consequences. All right, so let's bring through another idea. Maybe it's not adultery. Maybe it's the idea of violence towards someone. So bitterness is a bad, bad thing. It controls our thought life. And you get so aggravated at a person, brothers and sisters, right? You, you mull over that thought, get angry with them. And you allow that anger to keep rolling over in your mind. So when you get an opportunity, you act on that anger and whack them in the face. It doesn't matter how much they deserve it. Uh, <laughs> it's something you shouldn't have done. And you said, I just couldn't help myself. No, you allowed your thought life to think about it. You rolled it over. It wasn't an instant act. For example, you don't think about, or you don't just pop off uh, any stranger that comes by, right? Then why'd you hit your sister? You ever get asked that when you were growing up? I did. Why'd you hit your brother? <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> well, then why didn't I hit someone at school? Because they did the same thing. Because I thought about it more with my brother. You know, I allowed feelings and thoughts that I shouldn't have had, like not forgiving him, holding grudges, keeping it, mulling it over. And then when I got the opportunity, I acted on it. And now there's consequences for it. This is why our thought life is so important. That before you ever act upon a sin, you've allowed that sin to be thought about. You've molded over. You've worked on it. Our thought life is that bed that allows us to do things that we normally wouldn't do. Because we thought about it first. You've allowed it to mull around. So when our, it starts with our thought life, why is our thought life so important? Because you, you think about it enough, once you get the opportunity, you will act on it. Does it make sense? So with that, we have our thought lives. So now we come more practical. How do we handle our thoughts? How do we handle our thoughts? Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. This right here is going to be very practical and very much a help. <laughs> now, this whole thing is trying to say you are in charge of your own thoughts. If the thought of foolishness is sin, that also means that you are in charge of your own thoughts. God would not say it's a sin if it was something we could not help. Now, most people do not have a disciplined mind. What does that mean? They allow their th thoughts to go around unmolested, unchecked, and unfiltered. They allow those thoughts to roll around in their head. The Bible teaches us that we can learn to discipline our own mind. And we start with the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where God begins to explain how we can discipline our own mind. Notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse number three, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war 
after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, verses three through six is dealing not with our physical actions, but it is dealing with our thought life. Notice if you don't mind, it gives us an idea that this is a spiritual warfare. Because it's your thought life, it is a spiritual warfare. Remember that every Christian has three main enemies. The world, the devil, and our flesh. Now for the most part, the devil doesn't pay you any mind. He doesn't even know who you are. Sorry to burst your bubble. He has better things to do than pay attention to you. Why? Because our main enemy is our own flesh. Our own flesh gets us enough trouble that Satan doesn't even have to bother with us. Our flesh is our main enemy. And where does our flesh show up? In our thought life. Notice as it goes on in verse number four. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Why? Because a sword does not fix your thought life. A gun does not fix your thought life. A baseball bat does not think, fix your thought life. Now you may think it may fix someone else's thought life, but that's the problem that we're having in the first place. Smile and nod, it's all right. All right, so you're not going to solve the problem with a physical weapon. It now has to be a spiritual weapon. Notice if you don't mind, it says mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, because we're talking about our thoughts, is this stronghold, which is a castle or fortress, is it a physical castle or fortress? No. Where is this fortress or stronghold in? Our own mind. How does this work? Well, the Bible talks about that we're supposed to take every thought into captivity. We'll talk more about that later. But let me explain how you get a stronghold in your life. We build those strongholds ourselves, brick by brick by brick. May I give an example? So let's say that I get angry with someone. All right, it's uh, siblings day. Let's just pick on siblings, okay? So I grew up with siblings. I had a brother and then a brother who's nine years younger and a sister that's 11 years younger. That's a pretty big span. And uh, my brother that's two and a half years younger than me, we were pretty close. That means we were pretty close proximity to beat each other up, have a foot fight. I mean, we had all kinds of things, uh, you know, between him pulling a knife on me, uh, him pushing me out a window, me tying upside down at a fence and then drop kicking him a couple. I mean, we had a great childhood together. Um, you know, he took a weed eater to my chest. I mean, we just had a great time. Um, hopefully none of your sisters and brothers fought like that. And so <clears throat> that was what we grew up with. You know, there was a lot of fun stuff. So <laughs> with it, I have to do something with those thoughts. Let's say that I get bitter with my brother. I'm angry with him. And so what happens is that I have a thought come in my mind. Every one of us have to do something with each thought that we have. You either get rid of that brick or you do something with it. What most of us do is that we take that brick and we lay it down. And then we have another thought comes up later. And then we lay it down. 
Bitterness is very big about building strongholds. That you could take that thought and you refuse to forgive that person and you build that stronghold, that castle, that fortress, brick by brick by brick. Until it's to the place where it is an impenetrable fortress and you look up at it and say, how am I supposed to defeat that? Most people who have ingrained bitterness... They look at that fortress and said, I don't know how not to be bitter. I don't know how not to be angry with that person. I don't know how to get over this. It is such a stronghold in my life that I cannot defeat it on my own. By the way, that is a true statement. But it is mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God could destroy those strongholds. But how did they get there in the first place? You built it. You gave that ground over to Satan and you did it thought by thought by thought, building that thing up until it is a stronghold. Let's go to bitterness to pornography. There's people who have a pornography addiction. How did they get it? By not controlling their thought life and they put it brick by brick by brick until they get to the place where they get convicted that they need to stop watching it. But then they find I can't because they didn't control their thought life. Add that to any other addiction whether it's television or drugs. All those addictions come from a thought life that we didn't filter, that we didn't control, and we put it in our life brick by brick by brick until it is a stronghold or fortress that we cannot defeat ourselves. We need God's help. I'm thankful that God can pull down those strongholds. How is he going to help pull down those strongholds? Does he huff and puff and blow them down? No, it's going to be done by learning to control our thought life. Notice what the Bible says now. Verse number five, casting down imaginations. All right, so how is he going to destroy the stronghold? By casting down imaginations, throwing them down, getting rid of those imaginations, tossing them away, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Now, now we're controlling our thought life. We're thinking about our thought life. Every thought you have has to be evaluated to God's standard and God's word. Is this thought pleasing to God? Is this thought lined up with scripture? Is this thought exalting to God? And we have to examine our thought life thought by thought by thought on does it please God? Does it exalt itself to God or does it exalt itself against God? Should I be watching this? Should I be thinking about this? Should I be allowing this in my mind? Every thought that you do, and you're going to have to do something with that thought. Most of the time, we don't even line it up with God, and we put it on that stronghold. We put it on that fortress. We put it on that castle that's in our mind. Casting down the imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That word captivity carries with it the idea, a picture of encapsulating, putting it into a capsule, capturing it. So every thought that we have, we have to examine it. Is this pleasing to God or is it not pleasing to God? If it is not, you just don't say, oh, well, I'll toss it aside. You have to encapsulate it and then toss it aside. But it's carrying the idea that you have to do something with it on purpose, not by accident. You have to on purpose. No, don't think this way. When we deal with people who have bitterness, we tell them that you could forgive that person, but you also have to develop the habit 
of forgiving that person. You have to start controlling your thought life. No, I forgave them. I can't think like this. No, I forgave them. I can't hold this against them. No, I forgave them. You have to develop the habit of forgiving them by your thoughts, thought by thought by thought. No, I should not think this way about this person. No, I should not hold these feelings against this person. You have to discipline your mind thought by thought by thought to encapsulate it. Now, again, I'm a visual person. Most of us are visual people. What I picture in my mind when I have a thought that I shouldn't have, I think of it crumpling up like a piece of paper and throw it in the trash. You say that's basic uh, thing. Yeah, but that image helps you out. I crumple that up and toss it away. You have to discipline your mind thought by thought by thought. You can't allow it to have free reign. You have to control it thought by thought, taking every thought into captivity. Verse number six now raises the bar. Having the readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now the context here is still our thought life. You have to get to the place where you're serious about it. Well, I shouldn't have had that thought. Oh, well, no, I should not have had this thought. Let's get rid of it. Let's attack it. Let's revenge it. I am not. This thought is not supposed to be there. We need to almost be aggressive about getting rid of our thoughts, not just passive saying, well, I shouldn't have had that thought. Oh, well, do, do, do. We have to be on purpose, on guard, working on our thought life. Now you said, this sounds complicated. I, it does at first until you develop the habit of it. And you start developing the habit of it. And it's amazing that God starts changing the way that you think. Let me give an example. We've talked about this before, but do you know that you can change your reactions? You say, how do I change a reaction? My reaction is a reaction. You don't think about it. For example, you take a hammer and you hit the wrong nail. You don't say, hold on a second. What should my response be? Oh, should I? You just respond, right? But when you start learning to control your thought life, when you get the wrong nail, you don't immediately do expletives. Do you know that you can get to the place where you control your thought life, that even your responses are right with God, that you hit the wrong hammer and you can say, God's too good. Oh. You say, how do you do that? By learning to control your thought life, putting it into order, putting every thought into captivity, and you start letting God change it to the pulling down of strongholds, to let your reactions be one of instant. Forgive the personal illustration. I remember in Tennessee, I was visiting uh, a man who lived on a dirt road. And on the dirt road, if you've ever done dirt roads, uh, those, <laughs> even if you're driving the speed limit, you could hit the dirt just right and it, uh, the gravel road and still slide. And I remember I hit the curve just right and the car began to slide around and started to spin around. And without me saying, what should I say? Immediately, I was saying, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, help, which is a great thing. Can God hear that prayer? Yes. Absolutely. That should be an instant response. I remember the first year that we were here, we thought we would be brave and we're still getting used to the weather. And 
All right, it snowed on the ground. We can handle this. We're going to show we could still make it to church. Well, we didn't quite make it. We made it to the Seymour border. And then the van started going around, going around. And the instant response, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, help. And God did. We were able to, no damage to the van, get it out of the ditch and say, church is canceled. We're going to do something else. You know, because we're still learning Wisconsin and what we can do and what can't do. People from the South trying to say, well, you know. But you know, that should be an instant response. You say, that's not my response. Yeah, but God can work on that. I'm not saying it's something you do. There's work that you do. But if you put in the work and let God change you, you could even change your responses to stimuli when someone's upset at you. To get to the place where they cut you off in traffic and you're not immediately wanting to murder them. When someone does something wrong, when your coworkers are being lazy bums, you could still have a good spirit and attitude in your own mind. That you don't have to allow outside circumstances to determine your joy. God determines your joy. But that comes by learning to allow God to have every thought and place in a captivity and exalted against him and his knowledge and who he is. So with this, we come to another idea. How do we replace our thoughts? How do we replace our thoughts? That's a great question. One more passage, if you don't mind, the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, chapter number four. And again, if you've been part of this church for any length of time, you should be familiar with this passage because we go to it often. Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter four. Again, we're covering the idea that the thought of foolishness is sin with the implication that you can be in charge of your thought life. Your thought life doesn't have to control you. You can control your thought life, which again is unimaginable to most Americans. They allow their thoughts to control them just like they allow their hearts to control them. And they don't know how not to allow their feelings or their thoughts control what they do. Notice if you don't mind Philippians chapter four, how do we replace our thoughts? Right now we're talking about controlling our thoughts. Now we want to learn how to replace our thoughts. How do we have the thoughts we ought to have? Philippians chapter four. And notice with me in verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know where it starts with? Learning to rejoice in all things. Always rejoicing. Making that where that is the default setting. Can you find joy in it. Now at the very beginning, you're going to have to force yourself. God, thank you for the guy who cut me off in traffic. You're going to have to force yourself. Praise the Lord that I have a job with these scumbags who don't want to work. I understand that's how it's going to sound when you first start, but you develop the habit of it. Rejoicing. God inhabits the praise of his people. God inhabits the praise of of his people. When you learn how to praise the Lord in all situations, God will show up and you on purpose begin to praise God. He begins to help with that thought life. The Bible goes on in verse five, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. This idea of moderation carries the idea of yieldedness. That People should see that we are yielded to God and not allowing our thought life to be in control. We're yielded to God. Let our moderation, our yieldedness be known to God. 
Meaning that people should say, listen, I've watched them hit the wrong nail and I watched how they respond. There's something different about that. Do you know that people watch us when we hurt and how we respond when we're hurt? And when we respond correctly when we're hurt, not because we're forcing ourselves to, but now because it's been made part of our life, they say their faith is real. There's something to it. By the way, that should be the goal, right? That God praises our praises are so evident in our life that people say their life is real. I've watched bad things happen to them and they didn't curse. I've watched awful things happen to them and they still had a smile. I watched bad things happen to them and they still had a peace that didn't make sense. Notice as it goes on, verse number four, uh, six, be careful for nothing. That word careful carries with it the idea of anxious or worried. We know that we have a lot of worry warts around. The Bible says, be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Be worried for nothing. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, notice this, with thanksgiving. It's not the idea of just praying God do something with them, but it's also God do something with them and I'm thankful that you're able to change lives. Thank you that I have this opportunity to pray for them. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. This carries the idea of a peace that doesn't make sense. This isn't a peace that you work up, but as you start praising God, as you allow your thankfulness in all situations be known, God gives you a peace, not a worked up peace, not a fake up peace, but a peace that no matter what happens in life, you're still able to praise God. And still able to know that God is still good and God is still right. Notice as it goes on. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think, think on these things. This doesn't say just say good things. You are to control your thought life and on purpose think on these things. Things that are good. Things that are lovely. Things that are of good report. Things that please God. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Oh, what we talk about shows what we think about. We must work on this. It's about keeping our minds on Christ. When we do not have the peace that God offers us, it is seen. People will see when we do trust in Christ and the peace that, does it, that, that he offers us. So practically, what do we do with this? You set up daily disciplines. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to be in the word of God for yourself. The scriptures will end up filtering things in our life. I was in a talk with a preacher the other day and uh, he said he had someone come up to him and said, should I read my Bible even if I don't feel like it? Should I just do it out of duty? Is that enough? He says, listen, reading your Bible out of duty is like pouring water into a colander. You guys know what a colander is, right? He says, it may not hold a lot of water, but that water washes it out. Read your Bible anyways. 
That's really good, isn't it? Just read your Bible anyways. The Bible will start washing and filtering things out. As we get more Bible in our life, not just memorizing, not just meditating, but establishing the right disciplines and standards helps us to think correctly. Then remove those things out of your life that will reinforce those strongholds. For example, if you have a problem with pornography, stop watching it. Don't put yourself in positions where you can. Put filters on there. If you have a problem with bitterness, well then be careful with the situations you put on that. Bring up that bitterness. Do practical things. Set up the disciplines. But it is amazing when we put our thought life right, it changes everything. Maybe I could give a couple of examples. I love hymn histories. Remember that a lot of our hymns come from uh, accounts of people's life. Most of the hymns come out of tragedy. And a lot of those don't make sense to someone who doesn't apply this. Maybe I give an example. I'm going to give two. The Bible or the hymn book, we have a song that Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Now that song's usually an upbeat song. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. We sing it and that's a happy song. But do you know that was written in the midst of tragedy? Mr. Bridges, who was the author of the song, was a young preacher, 30 years old. He had a young family, wife and kids evangelist and uh, getting lots of meetings. He was used of God in a special way. They went to go visit his in-laws out in the country. And in the middle of the night, a fire broke out. It was years before smoke alarms. Neighbor happened to see the smoke went in there and started trying to wake people up and pull them out. And Mr. Bridges was able to get pulled out. But his wife and kids died in that fire. That's a horrible tragedy. What would your thoughts be to have your wife and your kids killed in a fire? After the ashes kind of burned, he went down and it was just a complete devastation. Just nothing but ashes left. And while he was in the middle of the ashes, God gave him a peace that doesn't make sense. A peace that passeth all understanding. And he wrote the song. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Now to a lost world or to a carnal world, that doesn't make sense. How in the world can you be singing that God is still good and God's still right when you're in the ashes of your family? God can give us a peace that passes all understanding. Another well-known song, It Is Well With My Soul. The man who wrote that song, he, lost, he was a businessman, lost a lot during the Chicago fire in the 1800s. As they were rebuilding things, him and his family were going to go take a trip to England. And right when they were getting ready to board the ship, they pulled him aside and said, we got to take care of something. So he sent his wife and his two daughters on the ship going to the other side of the Atlantic, going to England. And he had to stay behind to take care of business with the idea he was going to go meet them. He got a telegram a little bit afterwards with just two words from his wife in England, saved alone. What happened is that the transport ship that was going from America to England had sunk in the middle of the Atlantic. His two daughters perished. His wife was rescued and was brought to England. She was able to send that telegram 
but they lost everything. He immediately got transport to go to England to be with his wife. And as they were sailing, the captain of the ship uh, pulled him aside and said, the best we can tell, this is the spot where your daughters perished. He said, think the captain was reflective. And he went back into his cabin and he wrote the song, it is well. When peace like a river attendeth my way. And it goes on to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now to a lost world, to a carnal world, that doesn't make sense. How can you lose your two daughters and write a song, it is well with my soul, over the same spot where they perished? How can you do that? It does not make sense. Yes, but that's what God can do for each and every one of us change our thought life so completely. Why? Because our thought is our choice. The thought of foolishness is sin. And that God has given us biblical equipment to be able to control our thought life. That it can be pleasing to God. And then when those things happen, we can have a peace that passeth all understanding. A peace that is surrendered to God. A peace that is real. That the lost world says there's something real about their relationship with God. By the way, this is a peace that eludes most of us. Because our thought life is not under control. Is this a statement that you can say? It is well. If you don't mind, just grab your hymn book. And let's just look at the words together. And again, I want you to imagine a man who just lost his family. I want you to imagine that he's in his cabin. Now, it doesn't mean he's not sad. That's not what we're saying. The idea of peace is not having a, um, a goofy a grin on your face. It's the idea 375 it's the idea that there's a peace that passeth all understanding. The word joy in the Bible is not happiness. It is peace. A peace that passeth all understanding. 375. Look at these words. I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, not singing as a choir, not singing as a church, but a man in the cabin of his ship just being told that he's passing over the site where his daughters died. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. You see, when we come to the idea of learning to allow God to control our thought life, 
This can be the response that we have in the tragedies that befall us. That we don't have to panic. We don't have to lose our minds. But we can have a peace that only comes from God. That reflects that our faith is in God. Because we've allowed God to have our thought life previous by learning to give him every thought and put in captivity. By learning to have control of our thought life and not allowing our thought life to control us. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.